0: Well, today is a special day, isn't it? Praise the Lord! We're going to have communion uh, towards the end of the service, and I don't know about you, but I'm uh, looking forward to partaking of communion elements that uh, someone said don't doesn't taste like styrofoam and robitussin. <laughs> now, don't get me don't get me wrong. I'm grateful for the prepackaged elements. They they were of great use to us, and particularly useful uh, for us as we went out and visited folks in their homes and and serve them communion, especially in, in some of the height of the pandemic. They were a great blessing to us, but it will be nice uh, to go back to the regular elements. And this is a, a really special, a very long awaited day. And I know a lot of you are probably just so tired of talking about COVID that you'd like to just forget about it and move on, and um, that's definitely an understandable feeling. But we need to be aware that for others, it's impossible just to forget about it and move on. For some of us, what has happened in this past year has been impossible to forget. It's difficult to just move on. That's why I decided that it would be important uh, on today, our kind of first day back to normal, to debrief a little bit as a congregation. I wanna try to address some of the, maybe lingering questions, maybe some of the concerns, maybe some of the struggles that some of our people have, some of our church family may have. Whether you're here or watching online, we want to talk about those things like a family does, just get them out on the table. and I'm not doing this because there's any major problems, uh, exactly the opposite. It's, uh, I've just been so amazed and blessed by how the congregation has handled the whole thing and just it's been remarkable, frankly, just the godliness with which folks have responded to everything as difficult as things have been. But I think it's important to debrief a little bit and then to kind of address some of the things that can still be remaining challenges. So this is not going to be a typical sermon. I'm a little bit like Dan. I feel a little less comfortable without the pulpit. Uh, But I decided to do this a little bit more uh, just like we actually did at the beginning of the pandemic in a little bit more of a fireside chat type of a format. Just kind of gathering as a family just to kind of talk about things. And so I want to try to accomplish three things this morning. I want to summarize for you, the biblical principles that guided the elders' decision-making process during COVID-19. Just kind of put a summary to that. I want to evaluate the condition of the flock as we emerge from this valley. And again, don't don't get me wrong, uh, death and disease has not vanished from the earth, uh, nor has COVID. Uh, So we are returning to normal, but that doesn't mean that We've entered the new heavens and new earth where there's no more tears or mourning, crying or pain or no more death or dying. It is still a reality that some could yet be stricken with COVID. There is always the possibility of some other disease striking. We live in a world that's filled with death and that is ultimately why we are here because it is the gospel alone which cures death itself. But as we kind of come out of this kind of unusual year. I want to kind of evaluate the condition of the flock, the condition of this local assembly of believers. And then I want to discuss what to do if you're struggling. What if you're struggling spiritually? What if you disagree and have been arguing with your spouse about all these things for the last year? What, if, what should you do if you're upset at other members and how they've handled it? What should you do if you're feeling disconnected from the church family? just want to talk about those things, and we're going to be covering a lot of things really quickly. So I want to ask you to do something I normally don't, which is don't take notes. I want you to just listen. Um, and if you're worried about getting some of the content down, don't, because the majority of the content is going to appear in the annual report in, in my letter and in my report to the congregation, which you'll get at the end of the month. So don't feel like you need to take extensive notes. I think the first thing we need to do is just acknowledge how difficult these last 14 months have been. They've been difficult for everyone, but they've been exceptionally and excruciatingly difficult for some. Everyone has been affected in some way, even if the way that we've been affected has varied greatly depending upon our age and our health situation, our family situation, our school situation and our job situation, and some have been very deeply affected, whether that's the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, or perhaps the loss of a cherished relationship. Now, I've been meeting with some of you regularly to walk through these things as you go through a dark valley. I've been walking through it with you, and as have the other pastors and the elders I've visited some of you in your homes, I've visited some in hospitals, and I've visited some in funerals. I want you to know that whatever your situation is, right, whether you were more affected by the lockdown or more affected by the disease, I want you to know that our hearts and our doors are open to you, and I want to urge you to give us a call and schedule a time where we can pray together and talk together. if. Something's bothering you or if you're struggling. You know, we can't know that you have a need unless you tell us, right? Uh, you know, I, I kind of joked with the elders. If any of us thought we were prophets, we now know we're not, right? <laughs> None of us saw this, was, saw this coming. And part of that also is that we can't read your mind. Uh, we can't see what's going on in your home. Can't see what's going on in your marriage. We can't see what's going on in your heart unless you pick up the phone give us a call, schedule a time, come in. We'd love to sit down and talk about it with you. We care for each and every one of you. We want you to know that. Our goal from the beginning has has been to put our arms around the whole flock, young and old, those with different views, those with different situations. We wanna try to get through this valley together and we don't wanna leave anyone behind. So if you're struggling, you're feeling upset about something, you're feeling disconnected in some way, I want to really urge you to reach out. Call the church office. Schedule a time. If you're uncomfortable meeting in person, we can have the conversation by phone or by Teams or by Zoom or something like that. We'd love to talk to you. Now, so that's an invitation towards pastoral care. And with that in mind, I want to now debrief our journey through COVID by Doing those three things by summarizing the principles that guided the elders decision making process by evaluating the condition of the flock and then by discussing some practical pastoral exhortations as we reach this point in the life of our church. First thing I want to do is summarize the biblical principles that have guided the elders decision making process during COVID-19. I want to make sure the congregation knows that there I don't think has been a single major decision that anyone has made alone. The elders have made the key decisions as a group. The staff in their various departments have always met together to make decisions together. It has been a deeply collaborative process and one for which I'm deeply grateful. But if I had to summarize our general approach to COVID-19 decision-making in a single sentence, I would put it this way. During COVID, the elders placed a high value on protecting the physical health and safety of the congregation. But our highest value was, is, and will always be the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think that's a good summary of our overall approach. Now, how well we did that can be a totally different question. I'm completely fine with uh, members of the congregation being critical of whether we accomplished that. But I hope that you'll at least see our heart in this, that our heart was to... Make the health and safety of the congregation a high value, but keep the gospel of first importance, as the scripture says. So we didn't make an either-or choice. As you know, there was a lot of pressure uh, applied from both sides uh, trying to push us to make an either-or choice, and we decided not to do that. We didn't want to make an either-or choice between the spiritual mission of the church and the physical health of the congregation. We believed that a properly prioritized both and approach was both possible and wise. Now, again, how well we did that is up for each individual to decide. But that was our goal. And I think that God often uses trials to bring theological clarity on things that perhaps we haven't thought about very deeply or things that we may have taken for granted. And our decision-making process has been guided by a number of biblical teachings and instruction and theological principles that have really helped us decide two things, what we will do and what we won't do when we face these hard and complex decisions. When you're facing a complex decision, what will you do and what won't you do? We had to wrestle with that. So I want to just kind of briefly list these for you. And again, these are going to be in the annual report, so you'll have a chance to read them and see them later. The first is this, we will give Christ first place in everything, in everything. Colossians 1.18, we'll keep the gospel as of first importance, First 1 Corinthians 15.3, and we will be faithful to our mission no matter the costs, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. That's what we will do. What we won't do is we will not commit idolatry by prioritizing anything above worshiping, serving, and following Christ. Secondly, we will gently yet firmly assert that the church is essential even if the world says it's not. Because we are a hospital for souls and we have been entrusted by Christ with the only cure for death itself. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, neglect the practice of the ordinances, or eliminate key elements of worship, such as singing. Third, we will demonstrate a respectful, submissive, and cordial attitude toward governing authorities. Early on, I wrote a letter to our local health department just inviting their input and and seeking dialogue and partnership with them. We will pray for them as we're commanded to do in 1 Timothy 2, and we will cooperate with them whenever we can do so without disobeying the Lord, neglecting our mission, or enabling an unlawful intrusion into the exclusive jurisdiction which the Lord has delegated to the church or to the family. That's what we will do. We will demonstrate respect, submission, and a cordial attitude. What we won't do, is allow functional headship over the church to switch from Christ to Caesar. Nor will we compromise our conviction that Christ the head leads his body, the church, through the authority which he has delegated to pastors and elders, not to politicians and bureaucrats. In Hebrews 13, 17, the congregation is called to submit to their spiritual leaders, not in the matters of the church to political leaders. So we stood firm on the headship of Christ over the church. Fourth, we will carefully consider the research and the input and the dialogue amongst colleagues of the medical professionals who served on our elder board. And based on their advice, we will make biblically permissible, reasonable, and scientifically informed recommendations regarding the safety of the congregation and the physical stewardship of the body. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 23, we see Paul passing on a recommendation from Dr. Luke to Timothy. And we did that as well. What we won't do is prioritize people's temporal safety over their eternal salvation because the Lord said, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? Fifth, we will honor the priesthood of believers, the believer's freedom in Christ, and the long-held principle of medical ethics that coercion should never be used to accomplish medical objectives. And we'll do that by making our safety protocols recommendations rather than requirements. We will not slip into a form of legalism by going beyond what is written, by improperly using our spiritual authority to accomplish governmental objections, therefore blurring the line between the jurisdiction of the state and the church. And we won't bind the conscience of believers on disputable matters, Romans chapter 14. Six, we will do our best, and again it's up to each person to decide how well we did this, but we will do our best to shepherd and serve and meet the diverse needs of the whole flock, regardless of whether they are young or old, regardless of whether they are high or low risk, and whether they lean towards the more or less cautious end of the covid response spectrum we're going to do this because one part of the body cannot say to another i don't need you first corinthians 12 we will not turn members away from worship or turn the lost away from the opportunity to hear the gospel because any method of choosing who can and cannot attend services would violate the prohibition against showing favoritism seventh we will be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace and to look out for the interest of others, to be devoted to one another in brotherly love and to give preference to one another in honor. We will not allow issues that scripture does not even directly address, such as masks, to become a test of fellowship or a source of division in the body. That's been our approach. I wanna let you know it's gonna continue to be our approach. If you're comfortable wearing a mask, if that's what would make you most comfortable, I invite you to do so. We've provided them at the entrances, and I want to commend those who are implementing their personal convictions in that way. I want to ask the congregation to respect that, to honor that, and uh, want everyone to show, as it says, it says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love and give preference to one another in honor. And we will pray that that will be how we will behave individually and corporately and what the atmosphere of the church will be. Well, those are just seven of many, many biblical principles that we prayerfully and carefully considered as the elders sought to make wise decisions for our church. And while I want to assure you that the pastors and the elders have earnestly tried to prayerfully and wisely and faithfully apply these and other biblical principles to every decision we have made, there is certainly legitimate room for disagreement there's legitimate room for members to disagree either with our approach, our decisions, the way we've communicated those decisions, or our implementation and follow-through. If you're looking for a church with perfect leaders, keep looking. And please let me know when you find them, because I'd love to sit at their feet and learn. We've known from the beginning that this would be not only a a journey through a difficult season, but it would be a journey through controversial and highly sensitive topics. We knew there would be a wide range of views on these things within the congregation and within families and within friendships. By the way, that diversity of opinion is also true on the elder board. The members of the board also have a fairly wide range of views on COVID related issues. But it's been a beautiful thing to watch godly men with different opinions pray together, study scripture together, and develop a consensus decision together. Each of us has had to defer to the others. Each and every one of us has had to defer on some important things. And each of us has contributed to the decisions that we've made as a group and I want to let you know that my love and just respect and admiration for my supervisors, which is the elder board, has immensely grown as I've watched them lead so faithfully. Their godliness and their wisdom, even when under pressure and facing tough decisions, has been remarkable to observe and to participate in. And my admiration and respect for the congregation has grown uh, this year as well. I've observed how you've responded to the hard decisions the elders have had to make, and I really appreciate that. I wanna pass on, on behalf of the elders, that as we've navigated this difficult journey together, the elders have really appreciated how the congregation has shown forbearance towards us in love, just as we've been urging you to show to one another. We wanna especially commend those who deeply wish that we had handled it differently. There are those who deeply wish that the elders or their fellow members or myself had responded to COVID differently. But they've chosen to love one another from the heart. Anyway, that's what first Peter 1 22 says. It says love one another deeply from the heart. That's easier to do when you perfectly align in opinions. It's harder to do when you disagree. When a family agrees about everything, it's easy to love, but when they disagree is when the depth and strength of their love gets tested. What's stronger, their love or their opinions, their love or their desire for agreement. I want to commend the congregation because with very, very few exceptions, you have extended grace to one another. You've extended grace to the leadership and we greatly appreciate it. This has been a difficult journey, a long journey, but we've gotten through it and I believe we've gotten through it together by loving one another, by letting love cover a multitude of faults, by being faithful to our mission, loyal to one another and by prayerfully applying the scriptures. The word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. It lights our path even through something we've never experienced before, even something that none of us was prepared for. And that is a reason to rejoice. Second thing I want to do now is kind of move to that second section, which is to evaluate the condition of the flock post-COVID. And by post-COVID, again, I want to say that doesn't mean that COVID has vanished. It doesn't mean that no more will be afflicted by it. But as we kind of move past our Uh, the main section of our response to that. I want to evaluate kind of where we're at. and I want to focus my comments on the spiritual condition of the flock, but I, I think probably people would appreciate if I just made a few comments about the physical condition of the flock, kind of how we've gone through it physically in terms of health and all of that. I want to remind you that at the beginning of the pandemic, I mentioned something the Lord Jesus had taught. He said that The Lord causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is a key principle for believers to understand. We are incarnational in this world. Just as Christ came and dwelled among us and experienced all of the hardships and the sorrows and the sufferings of this fallen world, so also we His people are in the world but not of the world, and the rain falls on us just like it falls on unbelievers. So at the beginning of the pandemic, especially when we had no idea what to expect, I told the congregation to expect this, that whatever rain falls on our community, that rain will fall on us in essentially equal proportions. And that is exactly what has happened. Just as the Lord's teaching led us to expect, COVID affected our congregation statistically identically to how it affected the general public. No better and no worse. So both those who predicted that gathering for worship would cause our congregation to fare far worse than everyone else, and those who for some reason, perhaps out of bad theology, supposed that we would somehow fare far better than everyone else. Both of those perspectives have been proven to be mistaken. We didn't become a super spreader as the panic mongers had predicted, nor were we exempt from infection as some of the pandemic deniers had predicted. The rain fell on the righteous and the unrighteous alike, just as God's word told us to expect. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. So to kind of sum up the physical condition of the the congregation and just how things went for us in that, that way, I'd put it this way, we have nothing to boast about. And nothing to be ashamed about. Nothing to boast about. Nothing to be ashamed about either. But we do have a lot to be grateful for. When this started, I didn't know how many of you I would be burying or whether you'd be burying me. And we have lost dear loved ones. Statistically at the exact rate that back in June when I, when those kind of data was becoming um, more certain. I took the number of people that are connected with our church, entered in that, and I will tell you it's the exact number that we lost. We have a lot to be grateful for. We mourn with the families that have lost loved ones and we have a lot to be grateful for because certainly at the beginning everyone expected much more. I want to turn now from the physical condition to the spiritual condition of the flock and I want to tell you that overall I'm really encouraged by what I'm seeing. Our trust in the Lord has been deepened as we have endured these trials. Our commitment to God's word and our commitment to our mission has not wavered. Our unity has withstood the test of highly complex and highly controversial circumstances. We've been able to Disagree well, and we have endured some excruciating personal suffering together of various kinds. During this time, the Lord has opened some wonderful new doors of ministry for us in our community to reach out to the lost and the hurting, and so we have so much to be encouraged by, so much to be grateful for. There are, though, some areas of concern. I want to share some of the kind of pastoral concerns that I have. I've Heard and received some indications that there are a, a couple, and I hope it's only a couple marriages, hope it's not more, but that there are some marriages in our congregation that have been strained by 14 months of spousal arguments over those COVID controversies. There have been, they've been arguing over how to handle various COVID-related issues in their families. I've also heard that some really precious long-term friendships have been strained by COVID-related disagreements. I'm also aware that increased isolation combined with increased reliance on the internet has tempted some to succumb to the influence of false teachers online or to indulge in carnal temptations. The internet during this has been a blessing. It's been a tool but it has also been a stumbling block. Some, also another concern, is that some who have not yet returned to in-person worship and also did not sign up for Church on the Porch or join an online Care Share Prayer team have begun to feel disconnected from the church family, and that's understandable after 14 months has gone by. I'm going to be talking about that more later on. Another concern is that some members of our beloved Church family have lost loved ones. Some have lost jobs. Some have had major life events disrupted. And some are really struggling spiritually or personally because of all this. And so I just want to urge us all to really give extra attention to each other. Our need to support each other, to uphold each other in prayer, to reach out to those who have become separated or distanced from the rest of the flock for one reason or another. Let me just encourage you to not get hung up on on why they're distanced or separated, but the fact that they're distanced or separated. We need to bring them in and express our love to them. Well, we have some remaining challenges to overcome for sure, but overall I'm greatly encouraged and I think we have a lot to be thankful for. That is especially the case when we look at the general situation of churches in America. The sad reality is that during the past year, many churches in America have experienced steep declines in attendance. Hundreds, hundreds, perhaps thousands, have closed their doors forever. Most churches have experienced a 40, 50, 60% decline in the last year. Many churches have experienced major financial problems. They've gone through heartbreaking disunity as people have argued over things. The Lord I want to note, has graciously and mercifully, not because of any merit of our own, but graciously and mercifully spared us from each of those trials. Here at CBC, attendance is steadily inching closer to pre-COVID numbers. New members are joining. Our financial position is strong. Our unity is intact and our fellowship is sweet. And Lord willing, we'll get even sweeter in the weeks and months to come. We need to not take those undeserved blessings for granted, but rather give praise to the Lord, grateful praise, and then renew our commitment and zeal to serving him. So to kind of put a capstone over over all of this, right? The 14 months behind us as the Lord, the good shepherd has led us through this valley, we've encountered difficult, challenging, complex, and constantly changing circumstances, but we've encountered them together And through it all, the Lord has been faithful. And I think that we can wholeheartedly echo the words of Joshua. I want to read this verse for you, Joshua chapter 23, verse 14. Joshua says, You know, in all your hearts and in all your souls, that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed all have been fulfilled for you not one of them has failed joshua spoke this at the end of his life in regard to the children of israel as they had come out of the exodus and then come into the promised land and at the end of it all he looked back and said you know in your hearts you know in your soul that of all the good promises god has made he kept them all and as i evaluate the condition of the flock that is the verse that comes to my mind god has kept all of his good promises. Well, I want to transition now to a discussion of some practical pastoral exhortations. There's kind of three practical pastoral exhortations I'd like to leave with you today before we celebrate communion and then have the commissioning for our young people as they prepare to go to serve the Lord overseas. Here's the first exhortation. We need to realize that while many of us are rejoicing today, not all of us are rejoicing today. While many of us are rejoicing that things are getting back to normal, we need to realize that some of our precious brothers and sisters are still hurting. And Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. As the good shepherd has led his flock, and as we've gone through a dark valley, think about it, as a shepherd leads his sheep, and you go through a valley together, it may be a narrow valley, it may be a difficult valley, a rocky, craggy valley, and as the good shepherd leads us as his sheep through the valley, and as now we're coming out of that valley, it is natural and normal for some sheep to emerge into the sunshine, while some are still in the shadows. That's natural and that's normal. Even a flock that is really close to each other will emerge from a dark valley at different times. So those of you who are celebrating, you're celebrating that we're emerging from the valley of COVID. I want to ask you to show understanding and compassion for those who still feel the shadows and are still in that valley. And those of you who feel you're still in the dark shadows and that dark valley of COVID need to not allow yourself to get offended by those who feel the valley is already behind them. You see, if you've, you're already into the sunlight don't forget that some still are not. If you're still in the darkness of the valley don't forget that some have already emerged. So if you're in the valley of mourning don't get offended by those who rejoice rather rejoice with those who rejoice. And if you are one of the ones rejoicing don't get upset at the ones who are not. Rather, mourn with those who mourn. So that's my first pastoral exhortation. If you feel you're still in the COVID valley, you need to rejoice with those who feel they're already past it. And if you feel you're already out of the COVID valley, you need to mourn with those who feel they're still in it. We're one flock and we're one body so when one part rejoices we all rejoice with them and when, when one part mourns we all mourn with them let me read to you first corinthians chapter 12 verses 20 through 26 you don't need to turn there just listen as i read to you this what it says here first corinthians 12 20 through 26 it says there are many members but one body And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked it, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. All right, so do you see that principle? Mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. My second practical pastoral exhortation is this: don't let COVID create conflict, don't let a disease cause division, don't add broken relationships or broken fellowship to the list of COVID's destructive effects. You know, when you pull out a list of what COVID does to a person, right, we've known those, and if you're like me, you've seen it up close and personal in hospital rooms. Don't add broken relationships or broken fellowship to that list. The disease is bad enough as it is. Don't add relational destruction to it. You know, some of your families never came down with a bad case of COVID, but you did come down with a bad case of COVID conflicts. Some of you have been arguing with your spouse, with your siblings, with your kids or with your friends for 14 months. And I want to gently suggest to you that those arguments are no longer productive. It's time to just agree to disagree Put it in the past, forgive, and move on. Leave it behind you. If your marriage has been strained or damaged by COVID-related arguments, I wanna remind you of something. You did not marry your spouse because they shared your opinions on the relative efficacy of masks. I've heard a lot of your How We Met stories. And no one told me, you know, I saw this girl, and I went up to her and said, what do you think is the relative efficacy of masks for stopping a novel coronavirus? And when she gave her answer, I was smitten. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't marry each other because you were expert epidemiologists or medical ethicists. You married each other because you both loved the Lord and you loved each other. You need to remember that. You need to remember that. Likewise, you didn't form friendships or join this church because you asked around and found out that the pastors, elders, and all the other members shared an identical opinion as you on how to respond to a new virus. I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that 99% of us didn't even know what a novel coronavirus was (laughs) two years ago. Back then, I think we had as much interest in epidemiology as we do about acridology now. Two years ago, you had about as much interest in epidemiology as you have interest in acridology now. And you might say, what is acridology? Right? See, you don't know. But if there's a locust plague, you'll find out. <laughs> and trust me, we'll all read three or four articles on the internet, become experts, and argue on social media. Until the locusts are gone. I said that tongue-in-cheek, but I hope you get the point, right? If sharing identical opinions about a topic which you never even thought about before was not the foundation upon which you built your marriage, it wasn't the foundation upon which you built that friendship, and it wasn't the foundation upon which you chose to join this church, then should differences of opinion on those matters be a reason to let your marriage or a friendship or your relationship with other members crumble? I want to pastorally suggest to you it's not. It doesn't rise to that level. I can search scripture from front to back and it never says uh, walk away from someone if they don't agree on these things. I'm not saying the differences of of opinion on these things aren't important, but I am saying that they are not a good reason to break fellowship. They are not a good reason to damage a marriage. They are not a good reason to walk away from decades-long friendships. So whether you're pro this or anti that, if you're burning bridges over it, you've had your head buried way too deep in those debates for way too long. You need to lift your head out of it for a moment and see the big picture. You need to come up for air, take a few deep breaths and realize that two years ago you didn't even know nor did you care what your spouse, your pastor, your fellow members or your friends thought about the best way to respond to a virus. You didn't know and you didn't care. Two years from now, those things also will be in the rearview mirror. So don't let a broken relationship be in the rearview mirror. You want to be looking back two years from now with all of those that you love and rejoicing that you're still together. If your family, church, or personal relationships have been damaged by arguments over COVID, I wanna remind you that the biblical commands about forgiveness And about loving one another apply to COVID disagreements too. No exemption for those. So don't let a physical disease cause spiritual division. Don't let the COVID virus mutate into a conflict virus in your heart, your home, or your relationships. Instead, how do you deal with it? Forgive whatever offenses you feel have been given towards others. You've probably said things you should regret at least, Others have said things they should regret. You need to forgive, you need to love, you need to extend grace, and you need to move towards the relationship, not away. First Peter 4.8 says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. My third and last practical pastoral exhortation is this. If you haven't yet returned to church after 14 months away, it's time to set a firm date to do so if you're concerned about covid safety i'd like to recommend the 4 p.m high precaution service to you as i've talked with our internal physicians i'm confident that worshiping with about 50 people who are wearing masks the whole time and socially distanced by like 50 feet in our 1200 seat auditorium will be the safest thing you can do next week if you leave your home at all and it will certainly be the most important thing that you can do. But if you're not able or just not ready to return to church, then please call the church office and let us know so that we can add you to our ministerial visitation list. Signing up for the ministerial visitation list simply means that a pastor, a minister, an elder, or a deacon will come by to visit you periodically, to see how you're doing, to pray with you, to share fellowship with you and to serve the Lord's table to you. If you'd like, we'll send someone who's vaccinated. If you want to wear masks, we'll do that. If you want to meet outside, we'll do that. Whatever you're comfortable with, we will meet you where you're at. But we want to fellowship with you. We want to share the Lord's table with you. We want to have that personal connection with you. These visits, by the way, are not just for the elderly or the disabled, they're for families, they're for children, they're for adults, they're for anyone who's unable to attend services in person for one reason or another. And there can be many reasons why folks are unable to come in person. So if you don't think that you're going to be able to return to in-person services soon, please give the church office a call and let us know. Well. Let's ask the question, why are the elders exhorting everyone to either return to church or to sign up for the ministerial visitation list? It's because the Lord, Jesus, who knows us and loves us and knows what's best for us, has commanded us not to forsake the assembling of the church. And I want to close this morning by redirecting your attention to a passage we've mentioned several times before, which is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. It says... Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I've mentioned this several times before in letters and sermons, but the grammar here, right? There's a verb there It says, not forsaking. And the grammar of that verb describes an ongoing or continuous action. In other words, don't be regularly, regularly or in an ongoing way or continually forsaking the assembly together. And that idea is strengthened by that word, as is the habit of some. So, while this verse does leave room for a temporary pause of in-person gathering just like we did back in march and april of 2020 this verse very clearly forbids us from not assembling for an ongoing and habit-forming period of time this is a command of the lord don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together don't stay away from church so long that it becomes a habit That's why, after 14 months, the elders concluded it's no longer reasonable to consider non-attendance to be temporary and non-habit-forming. I hope you'll be honest enough to acknowledge that 14 months is habit-forming. It's ongoing, it's not temporary, and so this command speaks very clearly to it. That's why the elders sent a letter to the congregation urging members to either return to in-person worship, or to sign up for ministerial visits where in-person worship and the celebration of the Lord's table can occur. Now, some may feel the elders are being too strict, but I would suggest to you that the greater danger is that if the elders have erred, we've erred on the side of being so lenient. I think we've all been growing increasingly concerned that we were failing to fulfill our sacred duty to uphold and to apply this clear command of Scripture. Now, the Scripture tells us also be patient with all people. And we've been committed to doing that. For 14 months, we've made an exception to the membership requirements, we've made an exception to the church constitution. And we've done that because we realized people were waiting for the vaccine, or they were waiting for case numbers to go down, or they were waiting for the government to relax restrictions, or waiting for some other benchmark. And as the scripture says, be patient with all people, we have tried our best to do that. But now all three of those major benchmarks have been reached, and so the elders decided that the time had come to formally call all members to come back to church or to continue worshiping online but sign up for our ministerial visitation list. We've always had members who couldn't attend in in person, many of them for years and years at a time because of some extenuating circumstance in their life. That's normal in the life of a church. We just wanna make sure that we know who we need to provide ministerial care to. I want to let you know we're going to continue to take a maximally patient approach even in how we implement the elders call for members to return the elders letter actually gives members in good standing another six months before we would formally review their membership and so all told the elders are allowing 20 months of non-attendance before someone's membership would even be reviewed and even when it's reviewed we want to take a look at each person's personal circumstances so we believe that we've taken a maximally patient compassionate and grace based approach and if you disagree that's fine i just hope you'll at least hear our heart in that if you disagree or are upset or are feeling disconnected from the church family or just struggling with this in general please call the church office schedule a time to come in and talk and pray together you can talk to a pastor, a staff minister, one of the elders, we love you, we wanna sit down and, and talk with you. We, we're a family, and families sit down and talk things through, we hope you'll do that. Want all of you to know that we love you, we care for you, we need you, we're family, and we don't wanna leave anyone behind as the flock moves now out of this difficult valley and into the future that God has for us. Our, Good Shepherd is leading us. And isn't that good news? Our Good Shepherd is the head of the church and he is leading us. And I I believe there are some really exciting things ahead of us. Some really exciting things that the Lord wants to do. And so my conclusion summary is this. Let's group up and let's move forward into the future that the Lord has for us. As we prepare our hearts for communion, I wanna to read to you three verses from, all from the book of First Peter. Peter, who is writing to suffering believers, says three things, one at the beginning, one in the middle, and one at the end of the book. He says in chapter one, verse 22, since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Then in chapter 4, verse 8, he says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And in chapter 5, verse 5, he says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. We're going to now celebrate our fellowship, our communion. We have fellowship and communion with the Lord, we have fellowship and communion with one another. So let's spend as the men come forward to distribute the bread, we're gonna spend some time in private reflection. I wanna encourage you if there's someone you need to forgive, someone you argued with online or someone in your house that you've debated with and you have some lingering ill feelings or feelings of bitterness, make that right with the Lord. Forgive. And then express your love to that person this week. Let's really celebrate our love for one another. So men, come and serve. the.